You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Well, it is, uh, it's an honor to speak to you today. My name is Pastor Evan. I don't know if I mentioned that, and I'm one of your senior pastors here. And today I want to talk about something that um, really is, is, sets us apart as people of faith. And it's this, this idea of the value of strength, but also the value of weakness. You know, at Target, uh, I was noticing the wall of Father's Day cards and uh, flipping through some of those, they're all very complimentary typically of dad and very few of them uh, mention anything about dad's weaknesses. You know, like world's greatest dad, world's weakest arms, you know, I guess. Happy Father's Day, Dad. You're below average at running, but we still love you. You know, the, the, you don't see those, those kind of cards. Uh, why? Well, because like every culture, we, we value strength, you know? And this is, this is the same. If you go all the way back to Jesus' day, um, a couple of millennia ago, strength is, is at the top of the list as far as values, especially, you know, when you talk about the Roman Empire as, as uh, you know, these, these military powers are going out across the world and conquering all these people groups. I mean, strength and power, I mean, that's at the top of the list uh, for what you value. And so today what we're, we're going to look at is some of the core um, values of Christianity fly in the face of that in some really interesting ways, especially in the writings of uh, the guy who wrote half the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And so we're going to look at this today. What is the value of, of weakness, if there is any? And what do you feel? I was going to say think, but what do you feel about being seen as weak? You know, if you go all the way back to um, elementary school, maybe you've experienced this. We are kind of um, coded to avoid weakness, mask weakness, and project strength. And I think this goes all the way back to if you've ever been the last one picked for a team, you learn real quick the value of masking weakness and projecting strength. Now, Pastor Ben's thinking, picked last for a team. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> but for those of us who were standing next to the smallest child in the class, waiting for that final pick, you know, like we learn very quickly to project strength is of great value, whether it's relationally or socially or economically. There's so much value in projecting strength that we learn from an early age that that is the way to become successful. So let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at the upside down um, teaching that Paul brings to us, the Apostle Paul, who he himself had a lot of credentials, very smart, uh, very well educated. Um, he was both a Roman citizen and uh, a religious leader in the Jewish community. He had all of that going for him. And yet, here he goes, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think about, uh, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. So Lord, today we just invite you to speak uh, through these, 
these passages in scripture and uh, through whatever words and thoughts that I have, may they be overshadowed uh, by your grace and your presence today, even as I talk. Lord, we uh, thank you for your presence in your church today. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, uh, the Apostle Paul is, is pretty impressive. I mean, he's, um, he's single-handedly shaping the beginnings of this new thing called the Christian church, and that's no small task. And so he's going around from, from place to place in the ancient world, uh, launching churches and, and teaching about Jesus, and uh, it's impressive. But as he leaves a place, uh, there's other people that rise up behind him who are dividing the churches that he plants. They're taking disciples who are following after Jesus because of Paul's teaching. They're, they're peeling them off and taking them and making them disciples of themselves. And they're doing so with, with a lot of charisma and a lot of, uh, you know, impressive things. They talk about the miracles that they can perform and the visions that they've had. Uh, you know, these are impressive people enough to where Paul actually calls them super apostles. Which, that's an impressive title. Um, if you could call me super pastor from now on, I'm just I'm not going to demand it, but it wouldn't be bad. Um, right? So these super apostles. And, and, and so Paul is responding to this um, division that's happening in specifically this church in Corinth, um, where these people are, are showing off and flexing their spirituality in a way that is dividing the church. And so Paul is, is writing to the church and, um, uh, he casually mentions how he actually has visions too, and they're actually better than the super apostles. And he's performed miracles too, and he could go on and on about, you know, those. And, but he's not going to boast about that. <laughs> he, he got it in there, but he's not going to boast about that. Instead, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says, I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it. Because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So, to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Isn't that interesting? My power works best in weakness. Not my power can work in spite of weakness. He says the perfect environment for my power to operate is your weakness. That's the ideal setting for the power of God to be displayed is your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that beautiful? So Paul takes what is a tense situation where everyone's trying to outdo themselves and, and show off their strength and, and prove that they have uh, more power then whoever's next to them, and Paul comes and he flips it on its head and he says, here's what I'm going to boast in. Here's what I'm going to choose to be most proud of in my life. It's the weaknesses that I face that won't go away, that actually become a platform for the power of God to do its best work. That in my weaknesses, God's power doesn't just work, it does its best work. 
It does its best work. Now, we're not told what this, this thorn in his flesh is. Um, we, don't, we don't know whether it's a, a physical ailment. We don't know if it's some situation or relationship that's gone south that, that he just, he can't resolve. We don't know if it's a temptation or some uh, kind of uh, proclivity or, or inclination towards sin that, that he can't shake. We don't know what it is. And I think it's a gift actually to us that Paul doesn't call it out by name because that means that whatever you face that is a weakness in your life, whatever you face that's a weakness in your personality or your spirituality or your physical body or your family or your relationships, whatever weakness you face that you would go to God today and say, God, please take this away. Paul can relate. That what the response of Jesus to Paul's thorn in his flesh is the same response no matter what the weakness is for you today. In his book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, Pete Scazzaro um, talks about this idea of vulnerability, that the Latin root of the word vulnerability is wound, and that we all carry around wounds in our life. We all have weaknesses. We all have struggle. We all have experienced wounds. And so no matter what those are, and they look different for each of us, no matter what they are, Jesus comes to us as he does to Paul. And he says, my grace is enough. Now, now, Paul asked three times for this to be taken away, right? Now, uh, my son Jack here is in the room. He's three years old. Uh, he knows this concept of when you don't get the answer you look for, you just keep asking. So we don't have any fruit snacks in the house right now. Does that matter to him? No. When we get home today, there will be a short amount of time that passes before I get the request. Can I have some fruit snacks? Jack, we don't have any fruit snacks. Okay, 20 seconds go by. But can I have some fruit snacks? And on and on, this will go until he's distracted by something else. Why do you ask the same thing over and over again? You ask it when you don't like the answer you get. And here's Paul, and he's saying, listen, Lord, I'm your guy. I'm doing stuff for you. I'm, I'm like, not a super apostle. I'm like the mega apostle, you know? I'm doing the stuff. And yet there's this weakness that is, is, is holding me back. It makes logical sense, God, for you to remove this weakness from my life so that I can serve you more successfully and perfectly. First time, doesn't get the response he wants. Second time, doesn't get the response he wants. Third time, God responds and says, listen, perfection is not what you need. My grace is all that you need. You're, you're, you're striving in yourself to have enough strength to pull this off. That's not the way I work. That's not the expectation I have for you. Perfection is not the goal. A person that is bent over in weakness and allowing the presence and the grace of God to fill those low spots, that is the goal. That's my son, by the way. I think he heard me say fruit snacks and it just... It's like, I, I do want some of those. <laughs> Paul um, is so convinced that this is how God works. And by the way, he can use our strengths and, and that's great. Like, you know, I, I hope there's some, some kind of skill set in my life that has brought me here. I mean, um, you know, I, I, I hope that, that through my strengths, God can do something. I think he does. But what Paul says is that's all fine and good, but where the real stuff, the real supernatural work happens is when you're 
allowing your vulnerability to be a, a vessel that's filled with his grace. That's when, the, that's when the real power, that's when salvation comes is through our brokenness, my goodness. And so this is what he boasts in. He, he, he brags about it. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about all the things I'm bad at in life. Do I brag about them? Like, I, I, I'm terrible at soccer. <laughs> but you don't hear me bragging about it. You know, well, that doesn't make any sense. Of course we, we boast in the things that we're, we're proud of and we hide the things that we're not. And yet Paul says, in this faith, following this Jesus, it changes. Because who is Jesus? Well, he's a miracle worker and he's a powerful teacher and he's, he's, he shakes things up and, and he's, he's all those things. But actually the, the, the Jesus that, that Paul taught about and worship was Jesus on a cross, wounded and broken and humiliated and vulnerable. And it's really hard to boast in my strengths when I'm standing beneath the cross looking at a broken savior. And then all of a sudden it starts to click that actually God breaks open that which he wants to use to display his power. Um, we think of, of the cross as we should, as a symbol of God's great power, and it is today. But for those who follow Jesus, his disciples, his friends, those close to him, even his mother who was at the crucifixion, it was not a symbol of Jesus' power. It was a symbol of Rome's power. And it, by design, I mean, the cross was designed for humiliation and shame, embarrassment and vulnerability. It was to prove to everyone who was watching that whoever was up on that cross was far too weak to have a chance to stand up against the crushing power of the empire. It was an embarrassment. Nobody wanted a Messiah who was crucified. Uh, I read one theologian talking about the, the absolute absurdity to the ancient readers of the Gospels when they find out that their Messiah is crucified. And he said, claiming a divine figure was helplessly beaten, tortured, and gruesomely, shamefully executed. That would have been proof positive that such a religion was a joke, worthy only of the late night monologues, whatever the ancient analog is for Jimmy Fallon. This was not a symbol of Jesus' power. This was a symbol of Jesus' failure. Let that sit for a second. A symbol of Jesus' failure. For the disciples, they would have seen this as proof positive that Jesus couldn't live up to the hype. And we know this because they scattered. They left. <laughs> we, we find out several of them just went back to fishing like I guess that was a waste of a few years. What's next? He couldn't pull it off. He wasn't adequate enough to get the job done. You know, um, we've been a few months now into this idea of shared leadership and we have uh, three senior pastors and I know that's, that's a new concept for many and so thank you for, um, for just trusting that uh, God is moving through this in, in some new and, and really um, unique ways. But you know, when Pastor Steve uh, started talking about this idea of, of co-senior pastoring about a year and a half ago, um, I heard it and I was thinking right off the bat, I was like, man, I wish, I wish he would have talked to me about doing this back in my early 20s because then I was like super confident and ready to go. I mean, I was, I was so well equipped for things like this <laughs> at 22. 
I mean, I was born for it at 22. But now, hmm. Now I feel a little inadequate. Now I have these big questions of whether I can stand up to that kind of pressure. And then, of course, um, you know, the world changes and, and COVID happens and division is everywhere. And uh, opinions start flying. And the weight of what we do as leaders, and you know this if you lead in any capacity in the world right now, um, there's pressure. There's a lot of pressure. And, and, and through this past year and a half or so, I, I've thought many times, I don't know. I don't know if I have what it takes. I don't know if I'm adequate. And then we get through 2020 and everyone's like, high five, we made it through 2020. 2021's gonna be the year we hope for. And then we get this cancer diagnosis with my wife. And I think, I don't know if I can, I can do it. I don't know if what's in me is enough to do the task that I've been thrown into. I don't know. And then two weeks ago, it was Saturday night, I remember because church was the next morning. And so uh, I go to bed on Saturday night and I have this dream early Sunday morning. I remember the time because I woke up in the middle of this dream. It was uh, before five o'clock and I have this dream. And uh, in this dream, it was like, do you ever watch those like 1970s Jesus films? You know, where everyone's in like these, these really clean pressed tunics and Jesus has a blue sash and, and long highlighted hair, you know, curly. <laughs> I was in that scene, like I was in that setting. It was like a deserty, there's a river over here. I'm, I'm on the banks of the river and there's this hill here and I'm all by myself in this dream. And as I'm standing there, around comes the corner all by himself is Jesus. And like I said, curly hair, blue sash, the whole deal. And he walks up to me and it was, it was so quick and so simple what he did, but he took his hands and he put them on my shoulders and he said three words in this dream. He said, all is forgiven. And I woke up. And so I sit straight up in bed and I'm, I'm so moved by this dream. Now, whether it was, you know, God speaking directly to me or, or just, uh, you know, anxieties in my own mind and I had this dream, I don't care. I just know that God used that moment in that dream to really minister to me because here's the thing. I know I'm a sinner. I know I need grace and forgiveness for my sin. But what I realized when I woke up from that dream is that when, when I heard those words in my dream, all is forgiven, it wasn't just for the sins that I've committed. It was for the failures and inadequacies that I feel. That when I'm not sure if I can be the husband or the father or the pastor, that I have to be. When I gotta, I gotta show up, but I know where I've failed. I know what I can't do. I know where my weaknesses are and when my mistakes are there and I, I see my failures and I look at myself. And by the way, you, you see me and, and others of us at our most together up here, right? I, I so appreciate when people are like, man, I, I appreciate your vulnerability up there. I'm like, yeah, that's vulnerability to a level, but man, we are, we are the most put together we can possibly be on a Sunday morning. I know me when the lights go off and, and we all go home and I know me. And I look at that and I say, I don't know if I've got what it takes. My grace is all you need. My power is not just barely able to work in your weaknesses 
and your failures. My power works best in them. And so Jesus comes to each of us, wherever we feel inadequate, wherever we feel less than what is needed. And he puts his hands on our shoulders and he says, all is forgiven. You see, the mistake we make is when we think that, that to step into faith in Jesus is to step into his expectation that you're going to be perfect. That somehow, now that I'm, I'm following after the teachings of Jesus, the expectation is perfection and anything less is going to be met with punishment. And I wonder if Paul thought that, you know, as he's doing his thing and he realizes there's weakness in his life. I wonder if he saw that weakness as punishment for not being enough, not being adequate enough, not being strong enough. The response from Jesus is so clear. This is not something I'm gonna remove from you. This is something that's gonna form the platform for my grace and power to do its best. Um, there's a, another time that someone asked three times for God to take something away and it was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus, you know, we want to, to always think of him only in terms of his strength and his power. But over and over again, as you read through his story in the Gospels, you find a Jesus who is willing to be vulnerable, even vulnerable in front of others. And so the night that he's betrayed and he's about to be sent to the cross, um, he's just overwhelmed. And in Matthew 26, uh, we read, as he's with uh, a handful of his, his closest disciples, he goes to the garden to pray. And he said to them, the disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. May the cross be taken away from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time saying the same thing. He was hoping for a different answer, guys. He was hoping that maybe, maybe, maybe there was a way to avoid the vulnerability and the humiliation and the shame that the cross was going to bring to him that night. And three times he says, God, if there's any other way, please. And I'll tell you what, I've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Well, your prayers look a lot like a desperate cry that God would please do something. And the circumstance doesn't change. And that weakness in you doesn't go away. And we go back and we say, why, why, why? Here is the beautiful news about the gospel today is that Jesus responds with the words that he gave to Paul. My grace is all you need. It's all sufficient. It's got enough. It's got enough to cover over that weakness and not just cover over it, but use it and transform it and display the great grace and power of God through it. Um, when I was five years old, uh, we had a family reunion and uh, we did one of those human pyramids, you know, with all the cousins. And grandma, how many cousins do I have? Is it like 18, 19 cousins? 18 cousins. It's nice to have your grandma here. She knows everything. We had a lot of them at this family reunion. And so uh, we, were, we were forming this human pyramid. I was, I was one of the younger ones, so I was at the very top. And then after the picture, the pyramid, you know, everyone kind of scatters. And so the pyramid did this 
and I ended up in the middle on the bottom of this heap of cousins. And we have a video of it, and at the end of, of, of the, the photo, we all get up and we, everyone runs away, and you can see it. I start to limp. I'm five years old. I, I limp away from the pile. Do you know for over five years after that, I, I walked and ran with a limp? I wasn't hurt, didn't, didn't feel bad, but I limped. Now, it was probably pretty obvious to everyone else. I had no idea. So we're watching family videos years later. I'm like, why am I limping? Oh, that was just how you walked, son. <laughs> oh, cool. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> you know, physical therapy wasn't a thing back in the 90s. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, usually, when we have a limp, it's not news to those around us. So maybe we have to, you know, really get honest and, and work up all this vulnerability. And then we go uh, to our coworkers and be like, listen, I have an anger issue. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> we know. Or you go to your spouse and I just, uh, you know, this is what I'm dealing with. And your spouse says, yeah, you're just now figuring that out. You know, because, because the weakness is rarely news to those that know us the best. And so what a gift it is when actually we become... Um, honest with God and self-aware enough to, to, to recognize those vulnerabilities and open up because that builds trust when we embrace our limp. And that doesn't sound good. I mean, none of this sounds good. Weakness? Walking with a limp? Being less than the perfect picture of strength? I don't know if that sounds great. Paul didn't know either. But when he realized that weakness was something that was going to be with him, he allowed the grace of God to fill that space. And that's what I want for us. Um, for all of us who have struggled under the weight of a Christianity that has demanded perfection or the pursuit of it, this is a gift that God shows up in our weaknesses, it's a gift. That in your, in your failures, he's present, not angry, but sufficient. It's a gift. You feel inadequate today? Hmm. Three times I prayed, God, make me better at this. Make me up to the task for this. Help me parent better. Help me be a husband better. Help me pastor better. I don't know if I have what it takes. And he said to me, my grace is all you need. So this is a, a hand extended towards you from God today. Especially for those who have been so ashamed because you feel like you don't measure up. This is his extended hand and his hand on your shoulders. Say, my grace is all you need. So if you would just close your eyes and, and bow your heads wherever you're at, here in the room or watching from a distance. What a great grace we've been given and what a powerful thing when the world is witness to weakened, vulnerable people 
who live in the grace and the power of God. If you're here uh, in the room and you still feel that weight of, of, of shame because of failures or inadequacies or weaknesses or mistakes in your life, today Jesus would just say, his grace is sufficient. It's enough for you. It does all the heavy lifting today. And if you need just a, a, a replacement of that shame with his grace and his power made perfect in your weakness, would you be bold enough with your eyes closed, head bowed? Would you be bold enough just to raise your hand and say, I need, I need grace today to cover my shame, to be, work through my weaknesses. Yeah, hands all over. Jesus, do your best work now. Do your best work now. not helping us to sidestep the, the, the weaknesses, but in the middle of them to let your power and your grace flow today to your church. What great grace, Jesus. And for every one of us, all of us weakened in some ways, all of us inadequate in some ways, Jesus, would you be our strength? We are tethered to a savior today because we need you so much and we know it. And last thing with your eyes closed, if today uh, you've never really made a commitment to, to follow after Jesus and you've never, you never decided like, yeah, I'm in on this. I wanna follow him. I wanna receive what he's done for me. I wanna, I wanna tie myself to Jesus. If you've never done that, um, and you want me to pray with you right now in this place, just between me and you. If that's you, would you raise your hand right now? Anybody in the room? Yeah, anybody else? Anybody else? You just want, you just want to commit and follow after Jesus. Yeah. So Jesus, for those hands that have gone up today, those committing not to be perfect, but to follow after you, Jesus, would your grace come close would the work that you accomplished on the cross be real and evident? Would salvation come to all who ask and seek for it today in Jesus' name?